It's Tuesday, December 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you, my friend. Howdy. We got housing. We got automotive. We're going to start with the stock of the day, and that is Stitch Fix. (laughs) Shares of Stitch Fix up 45% today. They reported a profit in the first quarter. That was a surprise. First quarter revenue was 10% higher than a year ago. That's good. That doesn't strike me as the kind of revenue growth (laughs) that would spark a stock shooting up 45%. I'm assuming at least part of what we're seeing today is short covering. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a safe assumption. And I, I was going to say, you're forgiven if you're wondering why the market is is offering up such a strong reaction today to re- really what were just kind of okay results. Uh, this is a massive short squeeze, and in uh, according to Cap IQ data, uh, it was around 37% of the float going into today was was being sold short. That's a lot, you know. That, that's that's over a third of the shares uh, that float on the open market. And anytime you anytime you have something like that, I mean, you'll see these types of things happen. If if it it, certainly when a company beats expectations or or brings results that are a little bit better than than the market was thinking or or expecting, I mean, it seems like it's a decent business. I I I don't know that it's one that can really capitalize on some massive market opportunity because, uh, frankly, it's totally replicable, and and we've seen that with other retailers and similar offerings. I mean, I've never used it, so I can't speak to it as a service. Uh, I think the big question really for this company, and I mean, this, this are good quarter, congratulations to them. It's nice to see the stock getting some love today. But the big question really is going to be, can they sustain these tailwinds that, that COVID has created this year? Uh, and and I'm not I'm just not so sure with that. I mean, anecdotally, I, I speak with people who've used the service and they stopped using it. They just didn't find it to be all that compelling. So I'm just not sure about that longer term relationship with the customer. And that's what really matters because you pay a lot to acquire these customers to get them to use your service. If you're not keeping them, that becomes a real problem uh, down the line. And and so it, it's it's really important to, to be able to keep those customers and. That's the big question, I think, for investors today. And I don't know that I have a firm answer, but I, I, I kind of feel like maybe there isn't the same sense of loyalty with something like Stitch Fix based on what we've seen up to this point. There have been countless examples of startup businesses that get some success, get some growth, get some attention, and then uh, someone will throw out the you know the classic what if like well what if and usually the what if is followed by the name of a big <laughs> tech company and it's yeah. essentially like well what if you know we heard this uh, for years about Netflix well what if Apple decides to go into original programming it's like well they could they haven't yet like we'll see how that's going so so I'm loath to sort of pull the same trigger with Stitch Fix Stitch Fix like you know well what if Amazon decided they wanted to get into that. That said, it is one of those things I do have in the back of my mind, and and part of it is because uh, I live close to a Whole Foods, and I have noticed over the past year that when I go into the Whole Foods, they have got their own, not clothing, but they've got their own sort of meal kit section of the Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. And every time I walk by it, I think to myself, boy, are they just, is, is Amazon just gearing up for a push to just take over the blue apron market, you know, that sort of thing. You and I have talked before about the investments that Brian Cornell in particular has made at Target in apparel. I'm not saying 
that they're direct competitors. But, you know, if, if we're going to play the what-if game, Target seems like a likely candidate to, to go into this space. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a tough space, and I think it's a credit to Katrina Lake that she's built the business that she has to this point. Um, but to, you know, to the point you were making, I do wonder about how high the ceiling is. I, I agree. I mean, that, that I think is, is really, that I think is my trepidation in, in, as far as this is an investment, because I, just, I don't see this massive market opportunity because it, it, there's so many potential competitors out there. But Target certainly could be one. I mean, Amazon is, is out there doing their own stuff in fashion. Uh, Walmart is, is getting into that line of work as well. And you got all sorts of retailers that are coping with, with the pandemic economy and, and, and going digital and omnichannel. And so it, it, it's certainly not to say that Stitch Fix is a bad business. I mean, it, it seems like it's a pretty decent little business, but but it may be one where it makes more sense as part of something bigger. I mean, I think it's really easy for a bigger retailer to add a dynamic like this and, and really leverage the infrastructure and inventory that they already have. Uh, but I mean, you know, the argument for Stitch Fix for for a lot of folks, I think, is is the data side, and and perhaps there's something there. I I, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 fashion retail. I mean, it's just a really difficult market, and ten uh, percent growth for the quarter in revenue and customers is fine. Revenue per active client was actually down. Uh, it it is a constant juggling act with inventory and trying to to understand the consumer and they they're seeing some tailwinds in athleisure for example and really shifted a lot of inventory I think they they settled the call it was something like 150 uh, percent growth in athleisure inventory because they saw these tailwinds because of everybody working from home and and just the nature of athleisure uh, because people don't have to get dressed up to go to work so much anymore uh, so so they're just it, it is a very difficult business to manage over the long haul we've seen uh, SG and A costs were up a little bit more meaningfully this quarter. It's not a really high margin business. And, and, and again, we go back to that apparel industry. It's just a very difficult space. And, and, and so, I think uh, beyond, beyond the short squeeze that we see playing out here over the next couple of days or however long this, this draws out, again, I, I, just, I go back to that question of, is this something, are they going to be able to sustain the tailwinds they're feeling right now? Because if not, again, I mean that that revenue growth at ten percent, eh, you know, they're calling for twenty five percent for the year. They'd better deliver on that because that's certainly part of what's going on today. Um, we'll just have to wait and see. But but uh, certainly, congratulations to them for for chalking up a decent quarter and and for uh, getting a little love today in the market. And, and, and you know. Anyone can com- obviously completely ignore the conjecture <laughs> that I just <laughs> sort of threw out there. Like, well, what if Target? Like, ju- just put all that aside. You're absolutely right about the revenue. Like, at, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who their competition is. If 10% revenue growth is is what they're getting, they, you know, that's that is reason enough to be skeptical. But to your point, if they can deliver on the 25% growth, more power to them. Absolutely. Let's move. Let's move on to uh, Toll Brothers, uh, shares of the luxury home builder, down 7%, despite the fact fourth quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Help me understand this. <laughs> I mean, mortgage rates are low. Yeah. Demand for more living space is up. This is a luxury home builder. Why is this stock down? <laughs> well, I, so this is a business where size 
matters. And and we've seen that play out. If you if you compare Toll Brothers to something like a DR Horton, uh, you can certainly see the advantages in, in DR Horton's model just because it's so much bigger. But Toll Brothers, as you mentioned, a bit a bit of a, a more specific market in in that uh, luxury home space. Uh, so, so I mean, I think the market opportunity maybe is a little bit smaller. I think the sell-off today really is a valuation thing. It was a good quarter, and and, and frankly, they painted a very uh, nice picture for the for the for the coming year. Um, I, but just if you look back historically, the the multiple expansion has been really strong here for this company over the past several years in relation to the growth that they've been recording. So I, I think there's there's more of a, it's more of a valuation thing than anything else. And I mean, in the release, CEO Doug Yearly noted. They're experiencing the strongest housing market he's seen in his 30 years at the company. I mean, that's that's strong language, man. It's and so uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's really shaping up to be a good year for this business. I, I think it's just it, it's a bit of a more specific market in the product that they're that they're putting out there. But again, to your point, I mean, they're saying that they see the housing market as strong as they've ever seen it. There are a lot of a lot of things coming together that, that's making it a very robust uh, market. I mean, they, they saw nice growth for the quarter. Home sales revenues were, were $2.5 billion. It was up 9%. Uh, home building deliveries were up 10%. Net signed contract value was up 63%. Contracted homes up 68%. So, they're seeing they're seeing a lot of strength out there, and they're benefiting from it. Uh, I, I think that really the valuation is, is what is what the source of the sell-off today is. If you just look at the multiple expansion, it really just it hasn't kept up with the growth. This this is another growth company. It's it's growing. It's growing modestly, um, but but it, it's it's something where the valuation still has to make sense. And it, it, this is housing, right? It's it's not a SaaS business. It's not Tesla. So I mean, we got we got to try to keep things in context, I guess. <laughs> You're saying it's not luxury home building as a service. I mean, it, we could invent that business model today, Chris. I'm sure, and, and probably get that stock back to even for the day if we wanted to, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> AutoZone's first quarter profits came in higher than expected. Revenue looked good. Same store sales were up more than 12%. Uh, same question. Why, why is this stock down 7%? Well, I, I, again, I mean, this is this is coming off of a really stellar quarter that they just recorded a few months ago. So, I mean, these these businesses have actually AutoZone and O'Reilly and uh, advanced to to a lesser degree. They've been they've been pretty resilient through what's been a very difficult time for the retail space, and they don't have the same type of omnichannel presence that is helping other retailers cope. Um, so it's been a tough year, but the longer, the further out you look, the more the more sense these these stocks make. The performance gets a little bit better. For me, AutoZone, AutoZone, and O'Reilly are really the two companies that rule this space, and and it's it's a pretty attractive space uh, when you consider the number of cars on on the road today, and and that's going to continue to be the case, I think, for for a long time to come. It feels like to me you could call AutoZone the Lowe's to O'Reilly's Home Depot. So AutoZone is is kind of that. I don't want to say lesser competitor because that's really that's doing a disservice to to the to to Lowe's the success that Lowe's has been witnessing um, in, in what Marvin Ellison has done there. But but I think that AutoZone is just it, it, it O'Reilly's is just a little bit of a stronger business I think. But but to your point, same store sales up twelve point three percent for the quarter. But if you just look back last quarter, twenty two percent same store sales growth. So it, it was a little bit. Uh, 
maybe it was a little bit underwhelming uh, compared to to what they chalked up last quarter. But I mean, this is a business that keeps on doing just really good stuff. The commercial business continues to grow at double digit rates. That was ten percent for the quarter. It was seventeen percent a quarter ago. Um, and I think sequential results are important to look at this year. A lot of times we're comparing things year over year, but sequential results are more important this year because of what we've been going through with COVID. So I just think it's always worth noting that stuff. Um, you know, they're, they're seeing some operating leverage in the model, which is really nice. Traffic and transactions were up a little bit. Uh, they started, they restarted the share repurchases. So they, they brought down the share count about 20% over the last five years. Uh, but, but again, you go back to that omni channel, it's still just a tiny percentage of a business like this. It's like below 5%. Maybe there's an opportunity for them, and, and maybe, maybe that would be something that could light a fire under the shares. But hey, it was a respectable quarter in a, in a difficult time. Historically, they've uh, done a good job in terms of repurchasing their own stock. And um, it is going to be interesting to see what 2021 holds for AutoZone because, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, they restarted that. Um, you know, if, if, if more cars are getting back on the road, then that is good for the auto parts business because <clears throat> uh, more time on the road means more wear and tear. And, you know, that's generally good for business. But absolutely. Um, yep. Yeah, we'll no see doubt. where it goes. All right, Jason Moser, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. 40 years ago, we lost John Lennon, but fortunately, his music and legacy live forever. So rest in peace, John. Oh, mm-hmm.